What's up everyone? Good morning and welcome to our Water's Edge online Sunday morning worship experience. Once again, thank you so very much for hanging out with us today and tuning in. For those of you that continue to share these messages with your friends and family and you send these links out to people that you know, thank you so much for doing that. We have people tuning in from all over the place. Also, if you're a local listener and you'd like to join us back live and in person, both of our Sunday services are back wide open, 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. We have a full experience, a full worship experience, full cafe experience, nursery and kids church. We would love to see you come hang out with us on Sundays. Also, for those of you that continue to give online, thank you so very much for your generosity. For those of you that are meeting our $10 challenge, thank you so, so very much for doing that. You're allowing us to help more people, love more people, feed more people, and serve more people. Our next food pantry will be Thursday, December the 1st. We expect to feed about 2,000 people on that day. Your generosity will help us do that. So once again, thank you so very much for doing that. You know, life can be very, very frustrating. And sometimes that frustration can affect our moods and our attitudes and our words. And they can absolutely change our life. They can devastate us, they can encourage us, they can tear us down, they can lift us back up again, and they can never be erased. The question is, what is they? Well, they are our words. Today, we finally finish up with our current series entitled Sticks and Stones, and we all have people in our life. And so as people of faith, because we all have other people in our life, and we all want to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ and God's love, then we know that we need to be people of love, joy, peace, grace, compassion, empathy, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. And we understand that the other people in our life, that they, just like us, they have feelings and hurts and stories and a past and wounds and scars. And one of the main reasons that God gave you and I the New Testament was to mainly teach you and I how to properly love and relate to the other people in our life and how to properly treat them because our legacy is how you and I are going to make people feel. And so this series has been all about how you and I make the other people in our life feel on the inside, especially about themselves. Now, if I sang a song, if I sang a duet with one of our worship leaders, let's say I sang a song with Ryan or Kevin or Caleb or Luke or someone like that or Becca or Carrie, if I sang a duet with them, they sing so amazing that the band and me singing a duet with them, they would make me sound much better if I sang a duet with them. But if we got into a singing contest and I got into a singing contest, say, against Kevin or Ryan or Carrie or Becca, they would defeat me because they can sing better than me. And I think sometimes, especially during times of relationship conflict, our conversation sometimes can go the same way. When two people have tension, when two people have conflict and arguments and times of needing to deal with an issue, whatever it may, may, may be, you can talk about it with the other person, almost like singing a duet with grace and understanding, being very, very quick to listen and slow to speak, and that usually goes pretty well. Or you can get into a contest, a correction contest, and see who wins. But when that happens, notice this and remember this today. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. When your conflict turns into a contest, no one wins. Because someone usually knows how to argue better, think quicker, uh, manipulate better, control their emotions a little bit better. And so whoever is on the losing side of the argument, of the conflict, or of the talk, because they feel like they were defeated, anger builds, resentment builds, 
builds and then distance builds between the two people. If you're quick to speak and slow to listen because you're good at it. Let me say that again. If you're quick to speak and slow to listen because you've gotten good at it, your words will hurt other people in your life. Your words will devastate them deeply. Now, songs have the power to move us and inspire us, help us, sometimes even hurt us, and sometimes even offend us. They can make us sad. They can make us happy. And many times our words are just as powerful. The words that we use and say to other people can encourage them or devastate them. It can build people up or completely tear them down. And so this series has been about this. It's about learning to keep our big mouths in check. And so we all need to learn to apply this filter, this discipline to our life and to our words. And this is what it has been. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. We all need to learn to be very quick to listen quick to understand and slow to speak and slow to react and slow to correct. Now, in case you're just joining us for this series, if you've missed a few weeks as we wrap this up today, I want to catch you up very quick. The first week, we talked about this foolproof way that can save you and I from so much future relationship guilt and regret and shame. And this one habit could have saved you and I from a lot of past relationship regret. And this is what the one filter is. And this is what God calls us to do during times of conflict is to be very, very quick to listen and slow to speak. And then the second week, we talked about how our words and our mouth and our tongue should actually come with a warning label. Because just like a small match or a small flame or a small spark can start this massive forest fire, our words can cause this massive uh, devastation. And also, we should follow the example of Jesus and how Jesus had every single right answer. But instead, during times of conflict, he didn't focus on proving himself right. He focused on making things right, and that was reconciliation. And that's why he said in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Our example in times of conflict is not to prove our point or prove ourselves right. It's to follow the example of Jesus who had every right answer and to make things right. And then last week we talked about how our bitterness is usually behind our harsh and hurtful words. And the solution to our bitterness is having a tender heart, kindness, and forgiveness. Now, as kids... We love to correct our friends. In fact, some of you have small children, you have small kids, and you can hear them all the time talking to their friends, and they love to correct them. McDonald's nuggets are better. No, Popeye's chicken nuggets are better. No, uh, uh... Burger King spicy chicken nuggets are better. No, they're always trying to correct each other. And the shame is most of us don't really grow out of that once we become adults. And if you want proof, just look at Facebook. For so many of us, we still have this urge rise up on the inside of us and we still give into it to correct the other people in our life. And some issues in their life require help and love and speaking the truth in love and correction. But most of the time, most of the correction that we give out to other people it's not really necessary, but we still do it because we don't know how to let it go. And that's not really a great thing. We correct each other over and notice this today. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. Everyday, insignificant, non-essential issues. So many times we don't follow this advice. Don't sweat 
the petty things. Don't sweat the petty things, but also don't pet the sweaty things. Haha. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. We love to correct other people over issues that honestly is just not that big of a deal. And so if you find that relationship is starting to slowly disconnect, one main source is that there's probably constantly an atmosphere of correction in that relationship. Now, there's a place inside of us where all of this starts, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, let's look at a very, very familiar, cool story in the Old Testament. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. In the book of Genesis, Genesis, the first book in the Bible, around chapter 37, we find a father named Jacob. Jacob had several sons, and one of his younger sons was named Joseph. He was around 17 years old. Joseph was an awesome kid. He was smart. He was wise. He sought God. He loved people. He had character. He had integrity. He was honest. He would do the right thing. He, he found favor in the eyes of his father. And so because of that, all of his brothers got deeply jealous. And so because of that, they eventually reject him betray him, attack him, throw him into a pit, and then sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then they went back and told their father, Jacob, that an animal killed Joseph, a wild animal killed his son. Now, as a slave in Egypt, Joseph actually gets better. He seeks God. He continues to seek God. He's wise. He makes wise decisions. He rises to power as he seeks God, and God shows him favor. He starts to work for this guy named Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard for the Pharaoh's armies, the captain of the guard. So Joseph rises to authority. Eventually, they place Joseph over who gets grain and who doesn't get grain because there was a great famine in the land and they had these big storehouses of grain. And so people from all over the world were coming to Egypt to see if they could get some grain because there was a great famine all over the world and Joseph was in charge of who gets grain and who doesn't get grain. Well, guess who shows up to buy grain years later? The brothers of Joseph who betrayed him. Now, this was years and years and years later after his brothers betrayed him and left him for dead and sold him into slavery. So his brothers didn't recognize him at all, but he recognized them. Now, let's make a long story longer. If you're still with me, I'm still with you. Joseph has his brothers right where he wants them. And what does he do? Joseph gives his brothers all the grain they can carry, and he doesn't make them pay for it. So he loves them. He helps them out. He gives them all the grain they can even store and bring back home. And he doesn't make them pay and he extends them love and grace. And so the question becomes, and notice this today, you're still with me, so I'm still with you. How will you respond when someone who has hurt you in the past now needs your help in the present? What a great question. How do you respond when someone who previously deeply hurt you in the past and now they need your help in the present? What do you do when you have someone who has hurt you right where you want them, in a place where they need you? Do we get them back? Do we get revenge? Do we unload our harsh and corrective words on them? Do we send them away and not help them? Or do we prove ourselves right? Or do we make things right? And follow the example of Jesus. Notice the response of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45, starting in verses 3 through 8. He says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? 
but his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said to them again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve our lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. So when Joseph finally had his chance to get his brothers, his betrayers back, when he had them right where he wanted them, now they need him. Now he can decide what to do with them. When it was his turn, what did he do? He did what God called him to do. He released them from their guilt. He forgave them and he made things right with them. Just like Jesus, who always had every right answer, but instead he focused on making things right. Joseph had a set of standards that he lived by. Integrity, grace, forgiveness, and doing what was right and loving in the eyes of God. And he didn't want to throw his standards out the window just to get his brothers back who hurt him. If he did that, that would be him holding them to standards that he's not even holding himself to. Now, back to our question that we asked earlier. If you find yourself in any type of relationship conflict and it's starting to move towards distance and tension, how did it get that way? Where did it originate? Well, this is what I've noticed in times like this, and remember this today. If you're still with me, Sam's still with you. When we hold the other people in our life to standards that we don't hold ourselves to, we build a foundation of conflict. And the reason why this hurts relationships is because of this, and notice this today. Most of the time, because of our pride, our conflicts turn into contests of who can outcorrect each other. And when this happens, no one wins, and the relationship usually crashes very hard. That's why it's so crucial to follow the example and the advice of James, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, as we get ready to land this plane today, I want you to think about this and notice this today. What you do once you've been hurt, accused, betrayed, forgotten, challenged, and then needed by the ones who hurt you will be the proof of how serious you take your love for Jesus. Joseph's life was filled with reasons for him to be bitter, angry, resentful, and prideful, but he took his faith in God so seriously that he controlled his reactions and his impulses and instead decided to forgive and show love, grace, and mercy. What you do when you have someone who has hurt you right where you want them will be a true test of how your heart loves God. And is there a slow disconnect between you and someone else in your life? And maybe it got there and you didn't really realize it at the time. It'll never go well when you constantly correct people for doing to you what you constantly do to them. And by the way, these are great discussion topics to have with the other people in your life once you finally listen to this and apply it to your heart. Genuine questions like, how have I been holding you to standards that I don't even hold myself to. And then once you ask questions like that, be very quick to listen and very slow to speak. When I was a kid living in De Quincey with my family, I had a pet dog named Cassie. I loved Cassie. And Cassie loved us. She loved me. 
She loved my two brothers. She loved my mom. She loved our house. She loved my dad. But that didn't keep her from wandering off. How much we loved her and how much of a great home that she had didn't keep her from chasing after curiosity, from chasing after wonder, to leave, to wander off, to follow and explore. And one time she did that, and we lost her for a long time. And then finally she came back. And when she came back, she came back to the same house and the same love and the same acceptance. She came back to the same house and everything was just the way it was. In fact, we were even more excited to see her and we loved on her even more because after she wandered off, she came back. After she wandered off to follow after her impulses and her curiosity, she came back to the same love and the same grace. Our pets can do this. We give our pets grace to do this. But humans, on the other hand, we cannot do this to each other, nor should we expect to do this, and we shouldn't expect to get away with this. Someone hurts you, and you get past it. Someone hurts you, and you get past it. But let's say you were the one that hurt somebody. So how do you respond when you've hurt someone, and now they have you right where they want you? How do you respond then? The brothers, the brothers of Joseph responded with confession, gratefulness, and humility. And so because of that, there was a reunion. Most of the time, when someone that you've hurt, they have you right where they want you. Most of the time, we respond with defensiveness and excuses and blame. This is always manipulation. We give our grace, we give our pets grace to wander off and follow curiosity and then come back home. Humans cannot do this. When this happens, there'll be a final break with no reconciliation. We cannot enjoy the peace of forgiveness without first meeting the demands of it. So we have to be very, very careful when we've hurt someone and now things need to be made right. When they have us right where they want us to respond with being grateful for that forgiveness and grateful for that love. And if someone has hurt you and you finally have them right where you want them, what are you going to do? Will you get them back? Or will you follow the example of Jesus and Joseph and do the next right and loving thing by releasing them from their guilt and their pain and bringing the relationship and the love back together? Thank you so very much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. We absolutely love you. We cannot wait to see you back next week. We hope you have a great, great week.